0: Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So surveys show that adult men are suffering a friendship crisis. Most adult men don't have a single friend they could turn to in a time of need, and many sociologists suggest this dearth of male friendship is one of the contributing factors in increased mental disorders and suicide rates among men. But close male friends don't just keep you from suffering a mental and emotional breakdown. They're also vital in shaping you into a better man. That's the argument my guest today, Stephen Mansfield, makes in his latest book, Building Your Band of Brothers. And Today on the show, Stephen and I discuss the bleak statistics on male friendship, the myth of the lone alpha male, and why making friends in adulthood is so hard for men today. We then discuss what he means by a band of brothers, why men's accountability groups usually fail, and how a close-knit group of friends can help make you a better man. We end our discussion by delving into exactly what you need to do to develop a band of brothers and what to do when you get together. If you feel like you've been lagging in the friendship department, this episode is for you. You're going to walk away with some tactics you can put into action right away to begin developing your posse of pals. After the show's over, make sure to check out the show notes at aom.is slash band of brothers for links to resources where we can delve deeper into this topic. Steven Mansfield, welcome
1: back to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you again.
0: Uh, so last time we had you on, is was a little over a year ago. We talked about your book, Mansfield's uh, book, Manly Book for Men, or Mansfield Manly Book of Manliness. It was a lot of man and manliness in there. Um, <laughs> great conversation, but you got a new book out, um, Building Your Band of Brothers, which I think picks up where you left off with your first book. So why did you feel it was necessary to write a book on how to develop? I mean, what it is, it's how to develop friends as an adult male. Uh, why do you think that was necessary?
1: Well, you know, I'd written this book, Mansell's Book of Manly Men. I was speaking about it all over the world, grateful for the opportunity. And I realized uh, months after the book came out and great things were happening with it, that I had made a mistake. And that was that I had done what many people do. I had described manhood. I had urged men towards it. I had probed them, asked questions, had held up historical figures. But I had not actually given them the final step that I knew uh, which is that they're going to have to get some men around them to help them execute this. They're going to have to have, uh, as I say, a band of brothers to help them perfect, achieve uh, righteous, noble manhood. So that that was missing from my first book. It was my fault. So I decided to write a, a little companion paperback uh, to help bring that to the fore and to emphasize it. And so uh, it's, it's my omission. Uh, and I, I think it's also an omission we often have in Uh, in in men's literature that we don't get practical like this. So that's why I went after this book. But why do you
0: think it's necessary for men to be a part of a band of brothers in order to become the men they want to be? Right. I mean, like there's this sort of um, trope uh, in I guess cinema, American cinema. The you know the idea of the lone alpha wolf, like Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name, who just on his own he becomes the man. He does what he wants. He's he's pretty cool because he has that sort of self resolve to develop himself. He doesn't need anyone else. Why do you think men need to surround themselves with men to become the men they want to be?
1: Well, first of all, that that myth, that image, is a very American image, and it's a very selective image. I mean. There was the occasional lone figure who would ride off into the wilderness. But for the most part, it was communities that settled the nation. And uh, so we have this more emphasized in movies than it ever would have been, you know, in American history. But th- the reason it has to be emphasized is that we we, we men uh, naturally have friendships when we're, you know, boys, when we're in high school, when we're in college. It's easy. The guys are there. Uh, you know, we're open to it. Uh, friendships that we don't have to work at. It just kind of happens automatically. But when we get into our adulthood, that's when crisis hits. I mean, it can happen for a high school and college kid too, but, but it tends to happen when a guy gets into his business life, when he marries, when he has children, it starts to isolate him. All those things are wonderful but he tends to not have meaningful connections to other men. He knows guys, you know, maybe from the health club or from the work or, or, you know, whatever religious organization he might be part of. But for the most part, men find themselves, and the surveys show this, they find themselves in a sea of casual relationships. I mean, you know the surveys, Brett, very well. The average man can't name a best friend. He doesn't know who he'd call if he was out of town and his wife needed help at three in the morning. Um, you know, suicide rates are skyrocketing when we do the post-mortem on men who commit suicide, uh, normally it's loneliness, normally it's I don't have a friend, normally there's no man close enough to me to know what's going on in my life. And so we clearly have a crisis of adult males who do not have significant relationships uh, uh, with other men. And I don't just mean friendships and golfing buddies now, I'm talking about guys who really know their lives and are helping them uh, achieve something better.
0: Right, I think it's interesting too that there is this idea, right, that's permeated American culture that yeah, men men don't like relationships; we're sort of loners and things like that. But I had psychologists on the show that said no, actually, men are wired for relationships. Like as boys, men boys are more likely to form these what what they call like little you know playground gangs, right? And while women are more about you know one on one didactic relationships, boys love making friends. And but then as you get as you said, as you get into adulthood, that just Gets harder and harder to do.
1: Well, a part of the reason is it happens naturally when we're young. When we get older, it can tend to become a bit artificial. You know, they put they do studies where they put little boys and little girls into a room, and uh, the little girls will move chairs opposite each other, uh, look in each other's eyes, face each other, and one of them will say, "You know, I like your hair, I like your dress," and they'll start engaging a relationship that way, face to face little boys pulled the chairs side by side, look around the room and go, I can beat you to that tree. Hey, I bet we can whoop Tommy. You suppose we can, you know, go over there and get involved in that. And so they look for something to do. So men need what we call indirect connections. They, they, they aren't going to sit in a circle and, you know, dredge up their emotions. Like some organizations try to get them to do, they need something indirect. They need to connect while doing something else. And that's an art that a man has to learn. If he's in a situation like most of us where that's not automatic.
0: So you begin your book talking about uh, the history of male friendship, kind of giving you a a cursory summary of it. And like, as you said earlier, this idea of the lone male is a very recent phenomenon. So if it is a recent phenomenon, what, what were male friendships like before the decline of male friendship?
1: Well, male friendships tended to come out of doing other things. You were in the military, you were plowing the ground, you were having the barn raising, you were on the ship, you know, whatever, there was enough work to do, uh, there was enough happening, and we were enough in community that friendships came naturally out of those kinds of pre-existing connections. In other words, you were going to connect with men, you might as well make friendships among some of them, uh, because you were, again, the village, the tribe, it simply required it. And as we got into our modern society, we got a bit more atomized, as some people say, you know, the house in the suburbs, the car where you drive alone, the cubicle where you work alone at work. Uh, we got into an industrial age and then a digital age. Uh, isolation set in. And it's, it's, not a, it's not a permanent disease. It's not as though we're doomed. It's just that we have to reclaim some skills that were sort of automatically used and automatically developed in previous ages. And now we have to be a bit more intentional about them. And most guys just never are told that. They never are confronted with that. So they float around, like I say, in a sea of casual relationships and live out pretty lonely existences.
0: Yeah, you also talk about rust friendships or friendship, yeah, rust, rusty friends.
1: Yeah, a, a rust friendship is simply an older friendship you're trying to drag into the future that that is not really active. Like I have dear friends from college um, and, and I love them dearly and I love talking to them. But if I'm relying on that friendship, a phone call two or three times a year, maybe a vacation together once every five years, these guys aren't guys who really know me. They, they only know what I tell them. Uh, real friendships know you in 3D. They're close enough to see what's going on with you. They, they, they know if things aren't going right in your marriage because they're, they're close enough to detect it. Um, so so your man's making a mistake if he's taking rust friendships, these are older friendships that they're dragging into the future and trying to make those adequate. It just it just won't work. And sometimes when I ask a guy, man, do you have any close friends? He'll mention army buddies or college buddies or what have you from years ago, and that's the best he's got. Well, that guy's in trouble.
0: Yeah. So, so Stephen, what's your experience with male friends? Has this been a problem for you and something you had to be intentional about developing?
1: Yeah, it, it really is. I was a little bit challenged of it either, uh, by it, even in my boyhood, because I was a military brat. My father was special forces and intelligence, so he moved quite a bit. So every year, uh, for thirteen years of my li- my childhood life, uh, I had to make new friends, and then we'd, we'd up and move. So on the one hand, I was challenged about friendships and and had to make new friends all the time. On the other hand, I developed some skills maybe uh, other guys uh, didn't have to develop. And then I went through high school, college, and had great friendships there. But I fell into the same pattern as, as most guys. I got I got married. Uh, I had a couple of kids. I had a busy career. Um, you know, I played racquetball with some guys. I went hunting occasionally with some guys. But I certainly didn't have men around me who knew me, where we were discussing and uh, helping each other with the issues of righteous manhood, noble manhood. And um, and I I went through some crises in my life. I mean, nothing nothing life destroying, but but some crises where I realized, you know. Stephen, you're alone. <laughs> I mean, you know, just because you play racquetball with a guy and get a steak or something like that does not mean you've got anybody who's there in a crisis or helping you be a better man. Uh, they're not invested in you. You're not invested in them. There's something better that should happen here. And that's when I really started pursuing what's led me to this book. At what point in your
0: life did you start being intentional about your, your male friends?
1: Well, it really came about when I went through a, a bit of a crisis years ago. The actual nature of the crisis we don't need to take time with, although I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, but what happened was some men pulled in around me and began to just because I was in a bit in a bit of trouble, um, and I don't mean legally or, or in any major moral way, just just relational crisis. Uh, they began to speak to me. They began to say, "Well, you know, that's happening because you're a knucklehead in this certain area, or because you know." yeah, you got this, this quirk in your personality, and that's, that's obviously what's causing the situation. And as they began to kind of hold up mirrors for me, as they began to speak bluntly to me, as they began to tell me about their own, you know, how they got through this on their own, I realized that I was living pretty much uh, out of what I knew of myself. And a quick little story that illustrates this the best I know how, not too long ago, a, a guy gave me a picture uh, of, a part, uh, of a scene from a party that I had attended. And I looked at the picture, saw the person in the picture, and I said, who is that? He said, it's you, fool. Well, it's one of those pictures that we all hate. You know, I was scrunched down on a couch. I had about five Oreos in my mouth. My T-shirt was stretched over my belly. You know, my neck was scrunched down on my shoulders, so I looked like I had 50 chins. I mean, I looked like Jabba the Hutt, but I had never seen myself from that perspective. And it really dawned on me at that time. If I can look away that that I can't even recognize, it's probably possible that that I've got some you know internal things that I'm not seeing about myself either. I really want to be a good man. Uh, I really want to be the best man I can be. I, I need to have guys around me, and so that crisis and that way of thinking caused me to realize uh, that I'm you know I was being an idiot. That I I really didn't know myself well enough. To, to help myself just do my own insights about myself, become the best I could be. I needed other men who could see me in 3D. And I got to tell you, it made all the difference in the world. So I became more intentional about it. And at that time, we began getting a lot of these stats about how men are in downward spiral of the suicide rate, particularly in England, for example. And I was raised in, largely in Europe, so I'm aware of European trends. And all of that made me realize we had a crisis we had to address.
0: So as you've been saying like uh, throughout this conversation, this is... This is more than just a, a racquetball buddy or a drinking buddy um, or a sports league buddy. This is, you're, you're advocating for a band of brothers. And you know that phrase is popular now thanks to the HBO miniseries uh, about World War II and the 101st Airborne Division. But uh, you go into the history of, of that phrase, uh, band of brothers. Uh, can you talk about that? Because I thought it was really interesting.
1: Sure, sure. Um, Shakespeare really gave us that phrase, and he gave us that phrase in the play Henry V., uh, in that play, it's all about a battle between France and England. Uh, in that play, uh, he has he puts words into the mouth of Henry V. Now, Henry V, the real historical Henry V, actually made this amazing speech, but we don't have much of it written down from that time. These were men heading into battle; they weren't taking notes. So Shakespeare imagined that pl- that speech. That's called the Agincourt speech because it was the Battle of Agincourt in the early 1400s, and um, it includes the line, "We few." we happy few, we band of brothers. Well, that phrase band of brothers has come down through history, uh, as just the perfect, these terse words that really describe what men are looking for. They were used at D-Day to motivate the guys, you know, going ashore. They were, they were used in, um, you know, Trafalgar and great naval battles in England, his English history. Uh, they've certainly been used even in Iraq recently. Uh, there were commanders motivating their troops by quoting uh, the Agincourt speech in Henry V. So this, this phrase, band of brothers, of course, that's that's where Stephen Ambrose got it, which is why we have it in the HBO special, the HBO miniseries. But it, it really has become the tightest way to describe that we don't just want... A group of rowdy guys around us, we want a band of brothers, men who are committed to us to some degree. we're committed to them. There's something more happening than just friendship and uh, and that's that I think captures it beautifully and and, and challenges us with it
0: so how how is a, a band of brothers your idea of a band of brothers so you're saying it's more than just something you, you a guy you drink with uh do stuff with. But you mentioned earlier, like it's not really an accountability group or a prayer group or you know, sort of a men's group that are sort of that are popular in some circles. Um, how how is a band of brothers different from like those type of things?
1: Well, uh, a great question. A, a, ban- a prayer group or an accountability group, I'm all for both, but it does it's not going to answer what a man needs because an accountability group, for example, as it's usually uh, styled requires me to figure out what's wrong with me, drive across town and tell you about it over you know, bacon and eggs. Well, we're assuming I'm gonna figure out what's wrong with me, we're assuming I'm gonna be honest about it. We're assuming I'm gonna be right, um, and we're assuming I'm gonna, you know, show up for bacon and eggs. Well, a band of brothers is a group of men who with whom you do life. And the thing you're really going for at the heart of a band of brothers is what I call a free fire zone. And that means Anything can be said that needs to be said to make me a better man and also to make the other guys a better man. So you're working towards a situation where you all are pretty much agreed uh, what noble manhood is, what you're shooting for. You know each other well, and I don't have to drive across town and next, you know, two Tuesdays from now tell you that I'm having trouble in my marriage or porn is killing me or, you know, I've gone beyond the one glass of wine a night and I'm having five or whatever. Uh, you're walking closely enough with me to know those things. And we have a free fire zone, which means that we're not, we're not going to, you know, stay away from any issue in each other's lives out of manners or some kind of cultural, you know, Hey, we don't go deep with people kind of thing. We're committed to saying what needs to be said to make each other better. And, um, uh, It's not just gathering up in a room and circling the chairs. You know, we're shooting hoops, we're go climb climbing mountains. I mean, these are guys you're you're having fun with and you're doing life with, but the difference between that and just a group of friends is that you've committed to each other. First of all, that you are committed to noble manhood, and second of all, that you're going to address whatever needs to be addressed in each other's lives uh to make this happen and then and then help each other work it through. So my band of brothers, for example, we've had guys who uh, you, you know, have weight problems. we got guys with marital crisis. We've had, you know, you've got all kinds of situations you're dealing with. Anger. What are you so ticked off about? Every time you, you know, talk to your son, it, it sounds like you're about to beat him to death. What's wrong with you? You know, that kind of thing. Just straight up in each other's face. And uh, it's made us all better. And that's that's what I think men are looking for. They want to have fun. They want to have rowdiness. We're not trying to turn it into a sewing circle. But we, we do want that uh, free fire zone that uh, that gets said what needs to be said. And most men never hear the real business about their lives. They never have anybody speaking bluntly to them. So that's the difference in this particular group.
0: For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. And the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display, and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Did you know fast-growing trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Criteria that I was looking for turns bright red. It's a maple tree that turns bright red in the fall. So, if you want to try fast growing trees, right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code manliness at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using code manliness at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code manliness, offers valid for a limited time, terms and conditions may apply. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Boss. And besides that, free fire zone. Are there any any other essentials to uh, forming a band of brothers?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're you're looking for a contagious culture. Uh, you're you're looking for a situation where you guys are uh, conducting yourselves with each other in a way that more is caught than is taught. This is not a this is not a Bible study. This is not a. It can be a book study, but it's usually not. Um, it's it's usually what I call a contagious culture where you're. Uh, you're you're living out noble manhood in such a way that, that 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 a guy can find people around him who are better at, at the things he's not good at and get help. Uh, so it's it, it I, I call it contagious culture. I think it's important. You've got to have a commitment to un, just unrestrained honesty. Uh, I t- I look at guys all the time, my guys, and I say, guys, if, if you hold back on me uh, for any reason, you know, I, I'm just an idiot. You're afraid of me. Whatever. Uh, I look, I I feel sensitive to you, whatever, and you don't tell me what's going on with me that I need to know, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you with a stick. You know, I just, we, we laugh about it, but, uh, it's a, it's a commitment to absolutely firm honesty and, uh, those, those kinds of building blocks. And I describe some practical things in the book, but, uh, those, those sorts of commitments and that kind of culture that you create is really what you're going for. You're going for an ennobling, honest, hard hitting, but deeply loving culture among a group of men.
0: And how many men does it take to form a band of brothers? Is it just you need one other guy, or do you need more than that?
1: You know, it almost always starts with one other guy. Um, I don't want I don't want any of our listeners to assume that this is the magic number. We tend to find that five to seven is 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 the best number. Um, five to me is almost the ideal. But but you know, I know fantastic bands of brothers that are three, four. You know, it's just that, that five is an odd number, and it it, it means you haven't got. You know, two guys looking, two sets of guys looking at each other. You know, it's enough to mix it up. Uh, it's a basketball team, but uh, I, I find that five is about right. But but listen, uh, one of the things I want to emphasize is that there's there's no one pattern for this, as I describe in the book. You know, I know guys who meet uh, weekly, basically by Skype, because they're spread all over the country, and they get together once a quarter for a for a hunt or, you know, some kind of a fun thing that they they're not even living in the same area, but they develop relationships earlier in their lives. I know airline pilots who meet at airports once in a while and really uh, deal with each other. And then they try to get away for a trip or mountain climb or something. I mean, it can be done a thousand different ways. I live in Nashville half my year. A lot of the tour buses have got men on them who are, you know, working through my stuff, working through your material, Brett, you know, uh, really uh, developing a band of brothers there on those tours. So it can be done a thousand different ways, but usually it's about five guys uh, who are really uh, working it with each other. And by the way, it's not a meeting. It's just a series of relationships where we're constantly confronting and encouraging each other.
0: So, I mean, here's the challenge. I mean, so it sounds like you can do this. You don't have to be uh, located nearby geographically for Band of Brothers, but it seems like that's the ideal. It seems like that's how you can really do life, as you say,
1: right? It's absolutely the ideal because one of the things I say in the book is, and I believe very strongly, is once you start developing these relationships, you you want to do two other things. You want to get in each other's homes, Uh you know, that could be as simple as just a shooting hoops some Saturday afternoon and ordering up a pizza sitting on the back porch. But, you know, you get around the wife, you get around the kids, you know, what's happening in the home. Um, my guys need to see my wife. My guys need to see my son, my daughter. Uh, they need to be in my home to really know my life. And I've I've turned to my wife and said, man, I think something goes wrong with me or I'm out of town. These are the guys you call. I mean, you want those relationships. And then the other thing is we bring the sons in. Um, and it's very important to sort of initiate the sons into uh, this band of brothers at appropriate time in their life. So that really can't be done long distance. I just don't want guys to, you know, airline pilots that they've got to have five guys sitting in a room. They'll probably never uh, actually have a band of brothers. So I'm I'm cool with encouraging them to, you know, talk long distance and then get together once a quarter or once every four or five months for a hunt or something. But uh, yeah, the ideal is that you're local. So you're in each other's grill, so to speak, you're in each other's lives, and you can actually see what's going on. But so
0: there's the challenge. I think people are listening to this and they're like, this sounds great. I want this in my life. But the challenge is, is, how do you find men who are, one, nearby geographically for that ideal of doing life together? And two, this is the hard part, just as interested as you in forming a
1: band of brothers? Well, I think you start with the guys you're already in relationship with. The problem with most men is not that they don't have any relationships. It's that they don't have any relationships of depth so the guy you're playing golf with, the guy you play racquetball with, the guy you run with, whatever, the guys at work, you know, it, you just start to turn them. We we have a little slang we use internally. We call it 3Bing a relationship. You got to 3B that guy. It means you got to start turning the themes you talk about and the discussion a bit towards band of brother kinds of themes. So it can be as simple as, dude, I've come across this awesome website called Art of Manliness jump on there, man. And let's talk about it next time we get a burger. I mean, it can be that simple. And what you've done is you've taken a, uh, a golfing friendship or a work friendship or whatever, and you've just turned it a little bit towards the theme of manliness. And when that guy comes back and goes, man, you know what? I was unfathered. I Nobody taught me this stuff. You know, whether it's whether it's manhood and Plato or it's manhood and and how to be a cool uncle or what all the things on your awesome site, uh, you know, the guy comes back and says, "I don't know any of that stuff, man. How did I miss that?" Well, now you get a chance to start talking more about those themes, and you say, "Well, you know, I did. I missed a lot of it too. But I'll tell you what, this book meant a lot to me, or this website meant a lot to me, or you know, I went, I heard this guy speak, and that meant a lot to me." And you just start talking about it. You start moving in that direction, and if if the other guy is a good candidate, he's gonna he's gonna bite. You know, he's gonna jump in. He's gonna say, I, "Man, I I don't have that together." I, in fact, that's that's one of the problems in my life. And then one of the things I urge is that that somebody in this conversation eventually say, look, you're in awesome shape, or you you really handle your money well, or you've got such a sweet marriage. I don't. Can you help me with that? And somebody kind of humbles themselves a little bit, honors something in the other guy's life, and begins to ask for help. And once you do that and you're getting the guy to kind of coach you, it's not long before you're going to be able to have that free fire zone that's mutual and uh, really be able to to you know, speak into each other's lives the way you need to, but but yeah, being local uh, and then finding the friendships you already have at a shallow level and turning them band of brothers ish, so to speak, um, with a casual conversation. That's how it usually starts.
0: And how do you respond to like the objection or the excuse like oh, I just don't have time for this. I got work. I've got family. I've got. I'm involved in my kids' Boy Scout troop. I'm coaching. Um, a lot of older men are busy. Um, how do you, what's your response to that?
1: Well, I'm going to say, honestly, you know, I'm an older guy, I'm in my fifties and I'm very busy. And I got to tell you, this has been one of the most important things to me. It's improved me professionally. It's improved me with my children. Um, I, I understand being busy, but I also understand that you can be spending a lot of time with your son and not have insight into your son that actually is going to help them because you don't have other guys eyes on who your son is. For example, Uh, I spent a lot of time with my, my son now is 30, but I spent a lot of time with him when he was growing up. But one of my band of brothers was in my house one time, big, big African-American guy, former NFL. And he turned to me and said, you're an idiot. (laughs) I said, what? He said, you don't even know what your son's doing, do you? I said, no, I I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I want your permission to take him to lunch tomorrow. I said, you got it. He went upstairs, told Jonathan he was going to go to lunch with him, went to lunch with him. There was something that he fixed in Jonathan's life. And they never even, I, I gave them permission not to have to tell me. It wasn't a massive moral thing or legal thing, something going wrong in my son's life that I couldn't see. Well, that's why you need other eyes on what's going on. You see, I could have spent a lot of time with my son and and made that part of my busyness, but it was about what I really needed was to be more effective, more insightful, have help. I'm convinced when we Uh, send guys to men's conferences or have them read books about men, sometimes we give them the impression they've got to do all this alone. Well, what's been great for me is having other men of different personalities and different gifts, looking at my life, looking at my family, looking at relationships with my children. I mean, telling you, it's made me better in every way. Everything that they've confronted me about or hammered me about has made me a better, just better professionally. I mean, I mean, I can probably track that it's made me more money in my profession because I'm better at what I do because of them. Uh, So I don't think anybody should consider themselves too busy uh, to open themselves up to the input of a band of brothers. The reality is they might be able to work smarter and not harder at the things they're already doing could make a massive difference in their lives, just in a practical way.
0: Right. Uh, So you argue in the book that the heart of noble manhood is found in the phrase, manly men tend their fields. What do you mean by that phrase?
1: Yeah, well, let's let's turn it around, Brett. Who? What's the guy we consider to be an idiot? You go over. To, you, if we know a guy, you know, who's his house has fallen down, his wife's bitter and hurting, his kids are in trouble, he doesn't know it. He's sitting in the barco lounger with stained sweat clothes on on a Saturday, screaming for somebody to bring him another beer and a sandwich. In other words, he's not tending anything around him. Uh, I believe that every man has a field. I don't mean his professional field only. A field—it's the total body of commitments, obligations, responsibilities that he's got. By the way, it includes taking care of himself. And you know, a 16-year-old might just have a, you know, a half of a bedroom and a and a part-time job at Pizza Hut and, and and you know, obligations to maybe family and church, and then you know, his schoolwork. That's all he's got. But that's still his field we teach him to do it well we teach him to own it we teach him to own its dimensions know know what know what's required of him and and do it well you add a dating life eventually you add college You add more work to it well the guy my age you know i I've, I've got i've got a field i've got a company i got obligations i've got things to do uh, but when we when i get guys away for 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 some time at a retreats or out in the out in the woods we we, we talk about, look, uh, one of the arts of being a man, one of the arts of living, uh, is knowing the dimensions of your field. What is it that you've been given to do at this stage in your life? And if you've, if you've taken responsibility for more, you know, as I say humorously, more than you can say grace over, uh, then burnout, stress, and moral failure is heading your way. Uh, you, you've got to, to know what your field is, know what the total body of obligations, responsibilities uh, are, and then uh, tend that well, uh, and not 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 hand it off. You know, my children are my responsibility. My home, my house, my wife, my obligations civically, my work, uh, my spiritual commitments, and taking care of myself, getting the c- controlled rowdiness that I need, and and taking care of who I am. Uh, all of that's the total field that a man has to tend, and I. I think the, if, I, if you ask me what the, what's the fast track to righteous manliness, it's when a man recognizes he has a field of responsibilities and begins to step up and take ownership of them, uh, not in a dominating way, uh, but in a way that, that causes everything within his field to begin to flourish and, and fulfill its purpose. And that's that, I think, is the essence of great manhood. And so
0: the uh, the band of brothers is there to tell you, hey, look, you got some weeds over in this part of your
1: field. Take care of that absolutely and, and, and you know even a man who's trying to be uh, really noble can do some silly things I mean I had a I had a, I, a silly, here's a silly little illustration but when I, my daughter was very very young I just started calling her stinker uh, it was just a, it was just a pet name well when she was 17 and gorgeous I was still doing it and one of my guys said you know what that That's not appropriate. That's embarrassing to her. She just doesn't have the courage to tell you, you got to stop doing that. So I sat down with my daughter and I asked her, it turned out it was humiliating to her every time I did it. I had no idea. Now, this is a tiny thing, but here are my guys able to hear and see something um, that I'm not able to see. And I, I don't want them just guarding me from great big moral issues, although that's important. You know, I want them to know when my language is dropping. I want them to hear the conversation with my wife that, you know, maybe it's indicating there's a crisis going on. I, if I check out the backside of the waitress four or five times in lunch, hey, buddy, what's going on at home? That's not who you want to be. Um, so, I, yeah, there's a guardian role, but there's also a helping me to be better role. All, all of my guys are better at stuff in the, in the, in the lore of manhood than I am. And so they coach me, and I coach them, and we get better. And I, I just couldn't do without them; just couldn't do without them. And and you know, if I'm a successful husband or father, it's in large part due to the fact that they are absolutely fierce about making sure that that you know I hear what I need to hear to be a better man. It's made all the difference in my life. So
0: let's say you found your crew, you got things going, um, everything's really exciting in the beginning. But how do you sustain that initial excitement when you formed your band of brothers? I mean, how can you keep it going? months, years um, after you started?
1: Well, first of all, you've got to be very careful not to make it, you know, a bunch of guys circling up chairs and staring into each each other's eyes and saying, how are you feeling today, Joe? Men will run from that. So we're always doing new things. We're always doing those, we call it the indirect event, the indirect approach. You know, guys have got to have, guys will talk while they're shooting hoops or grilling steaks or about to watch the Super Bowl or whatever. You got to have something else going. And so we just have a lot of fun. Uh, if we weren't guys who were serious about manhood, we'd probably still have a lot of fun. But we have moved it to this you know, core of the free fire zone and the coaching each other. And so it stays alive. Also, there's going to be natural change. Uh, just because I help chaplain the Redskins and and go to a church in D.C. with a lot of the Redskins in them, uh, I have a lot of NFL buddies. And so I've had some in my band of brothers have been some current and former NFL guys. Well, they rotate, they get transferred we, got, we, we eventually say, well, let's, let's bring old Joe in over here, or, or you suppose there's so-and-so might be a, a candidate to come be part of us or whatever. We don't treat it like an exclusive club. So it's going to breathe. It's going to rotate. It's going to switch out. There's going to be change. It'll have a natural life. And by the way, every man in the group's going through different phases of his life um, and it's a different personality. So it keeps it fresh as we kind of you know, hammer each other into shape.
0: Well, Stephen, this has been a, a great conversation. Um, there's a lot more we can get get into, but where can people find out more about the book and your work?
1: I appreciate you asking. Uh, stephenmansfield.tv is where everything that I'm involved in uh, happens. And on there, we have a, a page called the Great Man Page. You'll see it on the homepage. Just click on that. and every, Everything that I'm about with men is right there. So I uh, appreciate what you do, Brett, very much. It makes a big difference in a lot of lives.
0: Thanks so much. Well, Stephen Mansfield, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, buddy. My guest today was Stephen Mansfield. His book is Building Your Band of Brothers. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about Stephen's work at stephenmansfield.tv. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash band of brothers, where you'll find links to delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. This episode was recorded on clearcast.io. If you're a podcaster who does remote interviews, it's a service I developed to help podcasts sound better and avoid some of the skips and audio lag that often happens with Skype. Clearcast.io. Check it out. As always, appreciate your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.